Welcome to Going In Tight. Coming out loose. Welcome back to Going In Tight, Coming Out Loose. Barton Chris with you as always. We have a packed episode of goodness for all you NASCAR fans out there. We get to interview Steve Swift, the Senior Vice President of Operations at Speedway Motorsports Incorporated. They own a lot of the tracks across the country, and uh, he's in charge of building, renovating different projects they have. He's in charge of uh, Dirt on Bristol, so we got to sit down with him and pick his brain, see how it came to be. So let's welcome in Steve. Hey, Steve, how we doing? Doing good, man. How about you? Doing all right. Uh, for a guy that's been wallowing around in dirt for a couple months, you, you look pretty clean. Yeah, we've actually got car track right now. Uh, they just started a test uh, for World of Outlaws tonight. Just started literally like two minutes ago. Nice. Yeah, we can kind of hear a faint rumble in the background. That's pretty cool. We'll kick things off here. You're the Senior Vice President of Operations at Speedway Motorsports Incorporated. Can you give us a little bit of insight before we jump into everything else about what your job entails? Yeah, so it's uh, it's quite, I've got quite the blessing to be able to be in over all the construction that the Smith family, Marcus and Bruton dream up. So being able to build all these great, neat things that they decide that we need to build, um, you know, whether they be TV screens hanging from the center of a speedway or four white bags or third on Bristol after 20 years. So it's uh, it's quite fun in that aspect. And also operationally, any of uh, the operations that are tracks, making sure that the, the events go off like they're supposed to from the parking, the traffic, the security, the fans getting in and out, things of that nature. Yep. That's awesome. And and you've been with SMI for 20 years. Is that right? Uh, almost. Not quite yet, but we're getting really close. Almost on the milestone. Nice. Nice. Well, when you went and got a construction management degree was the idea to always be a part of nascar or was it even on the radar at that point to be a part of this sport no funny enough it was never on the radar it was actually uh, at that point just to to build and be part of construction and work in the the construction realm i worked for a general contractor for several years before i came on to speedway motorsports and actually built the suites here in bristol on the dragon strip and the company worked with you know once i worked with them they asked me to come work for them and and the dream began at that point it's just grown since then so it's been pretty awesome adventure so were you aware of nascar were you a nascar fan or anything or uh did you just kind of fall into the sport and then fandom grew from there no, oddly enough, my uh, my parents were huge NASCAR fans. Um, we didn't get to go as kids a lot. Uh, we were in sports and playing football and basketball, and they would go to every year. It never failed. They always went to Martinsville and Bristol. That was the two tracks that they always made. Loved the short track side of things. And um, Harry Gant, the one year I did get to go, I got to go to watch, and Harry Gant was my driver. I always loved the 33 Skull Bandit. So <laughs> nice. um, odd, you know, to be able to come back and then be working in the sport after all those years of – Knowing my parents were really big fans and not getting involved as much, but then coming back and being part of the sport from now and from then till now. So, yeah. That's pretty cool. And and you mentioned briefly uh, all the ideas that the Smiths come up with. And you have the, the task of putting all of their big ideas into motion. What's the craziest thing they've come up with so far for you? <laughs> So that's a trick question. Um, <laughs> crazy, you know, like we've built a, a lot of creative things. I mean, truthfully, 
Um, you know, Marcus and Bruton, both great visionaries in the sport, have done a lot of things for the sport, um, have done a lot of firsts. You know, we pride ourselves on firsts for racing in general, whether it be racing under the lights in All-Star for the, you know, years ago, the first time ever to be in lights, or uh, the first to have four-wide drag racing, or the first to, you know, build a high bank half mile and make it better than what it was kind of scenario. So, I mean, there's a lot of, you know, hanging a center hung structure from the middle of a 1400 feet of an unsupported table. I mean, a lot of things. <laughs> none of that stuff's off the table. Um, you know, as far as saying the craziest thing we've ever built, it's probably more the time frames we have to build it than it is the exact product that we have to build. Um, you know, we always have that big date at whatever track we're at that we have to meet. And we always make the joke, there's the right way, the wrong way, and the speedway, and fall somewhere in between. So we've always got to be paced when we do it. And, you know, it's we've been given, to give Marcus and Bruton all the credit, they give us all the assets that we need to make those happen. So, I mean, it's always, we joke about it. It's a lot of fun, but they always give us anything we need to make those projects happen. And, you know, hold us accountable for the budgets and, and the end product to make sure we're building quality. But, um, you know, it's a lot of fun. Like I said, several years ago when I got that degree or, 20 plus years ago when I got that degree I never thought I would be building racetracks crazy projects but um, here we are and it's been a lot of fun to do the and just the teams that we create when we build these projects has been parallel to make it happen I mean nobody it's a whole lot different than the general contractor world because when we go into these projects everybody wants to be part of it because it's big and it's on the big stage and gets a lot of um, admiration when it's finished so trying to get contractors is not the hard part but trying to find contractors that are capable to build it is mm -hmm. has always been something but we've been able to do so and had some great partnerships over the years because of it very nice so when it comes to dirt on bristol itself that's a big idea i know it's been done before but for a cup race where did that idea come from who thought that up well, so Marcus and Jerry, so Jerry, the, the president here at the track, um, started talking about it years ago. And, uh, you know, basically we were kicking it around. We were talking about how we could differentiate the spring race from the fall race and then listen to the fans from Eldora after the trucks had been on Eldora and how successful that was and the fans wanting to have cup on dirt. And when you start looking at all the NASCAR tracks that are out there, there's only a there's only one that can really make that happen, right? And that, that would be Bristol. Uh, Martinsville's too flat. It just doesn't play well. The other tracks are just too big. So, you know, Bristol came to mind. And naturally, we always like to do things that the fans want. Um, you know, our motto from from Bruton through Marcus is fans first. We do we work for the fans. And hearing what the fans wanted, the cup drivers didn't want it. The owners probably didn't. <laughs> <laughs> but but making it happen for the fans has been a big parallel part. So it was probably a group, but it, it started with Marcus and Jerry and then worked its way through us to, to make sure it could be done if we started talking about it. And, um, you know, with 2020 being such a strange year, it was easy to make that decision to, to jump into that change while we had the opportunity to change. Mm -hmm. And so uh, when it comes to putting ca cup cars on there, I'm sure there was quite a bit of research that had to go into that. How did, what, what, in terms of research did you do to try to figure out how to really best go uh, approach it? So last year, whenever this all came to fruition that we were going to do it, it was actually going to happen. Um, I basically went on a uh, somewhat of a, a dirt escapade, so to speak, of all the dirt tracks that I could possibly hit and all the people I could talk to to try to make sure what we were doing is the, the best thing. And, you know, at the end of the day, there's, there's dirt everywhere. There's a lot of dirt tracks across the United States, but there's only a handful of tracks that, run on Tennessee red clay and those happen to be really close and we have a lot of good dirt tracks here locally so went and visited a lot of dirt races towards the end of last year you know at towards the close of our season in November and 
December, got to watch a lot of dirt races here locally and talk to a lot of those dirt operators. Um, lots of research from the type of dirt, what the dirt had to have in it, what kind of magical spices you could add to the equation to make it better. And um, it, It's more technical than concrete or asphalt, I promise you. And we know a lot about concrete and asphalt, but dirt is really uh, an animal that can't be tamed and, and really has a lot of parameters that are based around the moisture, the humidity, the temperature the sunshine you name it it affects dirt whereas with concrete and asphalt it affects them but not to the extreme that it does dirt man that sounds awful having to go watch a bunch of dirt racing <laughs> i would hate that uh it was so, nice to be a fan for a change a fan that was trying to learn but to be able to you know experience it from the fans like i took my family on one of the weekends and i've got two girls and we sat in the back of a pickup truck on the back tier of a dirt track and watched them awesome. race dirt all night it was pretty fun that's awesome. That's awesome. Did, so did you consider importing the dirt from another state or was it always like red clay from Tennessee? We, we looked at that. We looked at the possibilities of, you know, the good black Midwest dirt that they run out in Knoxville and Missouri and a lot of those states. Um, and it just really wasn't feasible. And, you know, being Tennessee and trying to hold true to the history of Tennessee and dirt racing, it made sense to have red dirt. So we actually sampled 20 different sites here locally that were fairly close within 50 to 100 miles. So it was fairly far away at some points. And luckily and blessedly, we were able to find dirt that was literally five minutes away to 15 minutes away. Set all those samples off. And, you know, when one of them was right in our back door and didn't even realize that it was at a campground that they camp for the races now. And we took the hilltop off and it was some of the best dirt that we actually ran out of it. We got all that they had and started hitting rock and bad dirt. So we had to go find another site. Oh, man. So when it comes to, it came to that research in terms of like the best racing that you saw, did you kind of try to duplicate the setup of those tracks to, to what Bristol looks like now with dirt on it? Um, to a certain extent, I mean, naturally with, you know, those tracks were built because of the lay of their land, right? When they built those racetracks and we were dealing with a set structure, right? Our, our, we had the concrete in place. Our ground was kind of what it was. And we had to come up with what was the best scenario to still be safe and still create great racing. So we looked at that and, and tried to figure out, okay, is the banking need to be 19 degrees, need to be 20 degrees? Can it be 15 degrees, 14 degrees? And kind of played the balance of what can we build safely and still have a good racetrack and still following the safety parameters that NASCAR expects. And, and that's kind of how we landed where we were. Nice. So we heard this, there's a guy named Dr. Dirt that played a role in this and who the heck's Dr. Dirt and how do you earn such credentials? There's a gentleman in, in California, his name's Ed and Ed's got a company called SE Organics and he basically analyzes your dirt. So that's kind of where he got the doctor term is he analyzes all the very uninteresting stuff to most people like the, the actual pH balance of the soil and what kind of microbials it has in it and what the magnesium level and the nitrogen levels and whatnot. So he's a dirt fan. He loves dirt racing and super, super cooperative to help us out, understands, you know, how big this is for the dirt world. And he helps us out with our Charlotte Motor Speedway dirt track. So we already had that contact. So we sent all our samples to him and let him choose the best dirts for us to use. And again, those were the ones that were local, which was very, very thankful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I imagine, you know, we we're both die cast guys and we've got die cast sitting around. I imagine this guy, just a whole basement full of like little <laughs> vials of dirt. And he's like that one right there. That's from when they ran dirt on Bristol. So <laughs> that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. So what, what's the recipe? I mean, we don't need the, the microbials and all that kind of stuff, but what's the recipe for what you all put down on that track? 
So the main thing we were looking for was a high clay content. We wanted a high clay content to to give, you know, the typical red dirt type racing. Uh, you know, we know we're going to have dust and, and being an afternoon day race is going to make it a little bit more difficult. But trying to find something that had enough clay in it that would hold moisture, um, you know, to create a good hard surface that they could run on, but also a good competitive surface that they could slide around on. So the high content, I mean, basically the high content of the clay was the main piece. Um, there's a lot of other nutrients and things that you have to look for but uh, we we were able and, and per dr dirt <laughs> we had a basically a fresh dirt that had never left the soil or never left the earth so um, mm. with get a lot of those things that are already native native to it just because of time and what what you can't artificially add to dirt so that was a positive as well and, and in the future if we use this dirt there's things we can do to add to it to keep it that native natural state well and did we read correctly that there was dirt used from 2000, 2001 when there was last dirt on it that y'all brought some of that back? Absolutely. So when you start looking at how much fill we had to put in the track, um, if you can imagine, we went from 30 degrees to 19. So there's quite a bit of dirt that had to make up the difference. And instead of wasting that dirt, and when I say wasting, you know, instead of just using it as a filler, with the good dirt, we wanted to make sure that we were using all that we had available first. So we had kept that dirt from 20. 2000 and 2001 i'm used to saying 2010 2014 <laughs> yeah. but in, in lieu of wasting good dirt deep down nine foot fields eight foot fields we used that dirt to help build the base so so how deep is the base you just said nine foot fields eight foot fields how deep when we get from obviously i think in, in my head it's going to be thinner at the top of the track right and then as we get to the bottom how much dirt are we talking about here so at the top of the track, we're 12 inches. And then by the time you get to what's the hinge point or where the apron meets the racing surface, it's a nine foot fill in the apex. of the. <laughs> Holy cow. Wow. So uh, one of the things that we saw in, in NASCAR on NASCAR.com, we were just looking through it before we jumped on here, is these cool pictures they've got over the course of time of you all putting this on there. The first thing that they showed that went down is this layer of sawdust what does that do? Is that protection for the track? What role does it play in the whole scheme of dirt? It's a couple things. You hit the nail on the head with the first one. It's to protect the track, you know, basically so we don't have red clay stains on the concrete. Um, the second thing it does, it actually helps to create a, a friction, frictionless base okay. so that the dirt doesn't want to slide off of as much. It helps to bind to the concrete. So it, it's amazing when we go to tear it off. If you're familiar with building materials, it looks a lot like OSB board or press board okay. when we off because it's been so compacted with that much dirt on it for so long Dang. it'll look like little sheets of plywood or chunks of plywood when we go to tear it off man what issues do you all foresee when it comes to race day with these cup cars that you might not see when it comes to regular dirt racing so we, we've looked at that naturally we, we researched the eldora races and the trucks and, and one of the things that i found as an interesting fact that i didn't realize is the trucks actually weigh more than the cup cars uh, it's not by much it's a 200 pound difference but the trucks are a little heavier than the cup cars so with what eldora and now grant you a different dirt so a little bit different not near steep as embankment but um we we don't foresee the potholes just because we've got a really hard base we really okay. concentrated making sure that we got the base really tight and we added some things to the base to get that, you know, because one, we were working in the middle of the winter. So the weather hasn't been necessarily on our side to place dirt. So we had to do some things artificially to help to enhance, to be able to get that compaction. Um, but the biggest thing is going to be dust mitigation. 
I mean, that's a lot of laps to put on a, a dirt surface, especially red clay um, over a time period that, you know, middle of the daytime sunshine, um, dirt likes to dry out. And the more you run around it, the, the worse it dries out. So just mitigating the dust is our probably biggest concern. Um, grant you, and I keep saying this, we're going to have dust. It's just if we can mitigate it to where it's still raceable and not, you know, a dust bowl. <laughs> so we're not going to see like a competition caution and then the water truck come around and like you would that's at your local idea. track. Yeah, that, that's definitely been discussed, and that's a possibility. We don't want to do that, but uh, to make the race taste good, we may have to. So don't wear your Sunday best, people. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> so, so following along with this whole process on social media, it seemed like a really big undertaking to do. So is this something that's sustainable to do every single year? It is. I mean, naturally, the overwhelming acceptance of it with the dirt world, not just the NASCAR world, um, just like right now, the world of outlaws is out here with their late models doing testing. Uh, we had late models last week with the, the group that's coming in before with the, the dirt nationals. So um, the dirt world's really excited about it. They understand the importance of what it does for their sport just as much as it does for ours and, and helps to cross pollinate, so to speak, that fan base, because there's definitely a different fan base there. So being able to bring both sides together and seeing, you know, what, what's being created and on a big stage like Bristol is pretty awesome. Um, it's definitely sustainable. I mean, the first year is always the most expensive, right? Because you learn a lot and you're having to find the dirt and get the dirt and haul it from different places. Um, luckily now we can store the dirt on site and have it all on site to be able to put back. And we've learned a lot, you know, in our time of putting this together. Um, hopefully we'll learn a lot more through the races that are coming up and that'll give us a little bit more intel on what, what we need to look at, but it's definitely sustainable. I mean, it's, just the the buzz that it's created in the, the market has been, you know, well worth its weight in gold, so to speak, just to, to have this to be talking about, you know, I don't remember the last time a Daytona 500 race was talking about Bristol Springs. So that alone <laughs> is pretty big. <laughs> yeah. And, and certainly this is where the sport began. So getting to see the highest level of racing back on dirt, I think it's really important to a lot of folks who care about the roots of racing. So um, the one thing I'm thinking about when I say all this is bless the people that have to take all this up after it's over is, is, and you can, and you kind of answered this a little bit with the sawdust, but is there any potential risk to actually damaging the track when all this stuff comes up? So I know there's a lot of hopes out there that it does. So we have to go back and asphalt. I think I've heard that a couple <laughs> of times, but we don't, we don't foresee that. We don't foresee any issues with the track. The track was built really well when we replaced it back in 08. Uh, it's it's bulletproof. I would hate to have to demo this track out because it's built so well. Uh, basically, the, the hardest part about the cleanup is not necessarily the track itself. It's all the things around the track. So from the suite level down, the dust that will be in the mirror trans and the Musco lights and the HVAC units, things that people don't think about, but all of our HVAC units, we've taken the – shields off and put it in filters that way we don't damage the coals and you know those are the little things that can possibly take effect but make it a little bit harder to clean up but that's why you get paid the big bucks is i didn't <laughs> ever thought about that <laughs> uh, so we want to ask you a couple things as, as we close things out here about some of the other tracks and some of the other ideas that are out there. One of those, and I'll bring you into my backyard a little bit. I live here in Independence, Kentucky, which is only 30 minutes from Sparta. Um, Kentucky's no longer on the schedule. I'm sure you've heard about that and uh, had had some say in it. But, um, you know, what what happens in track management and the operations of something that you all put so much money into and now it's not on the schedule anymore. Is there a certain level of maintenance that's going on there now that there's not racing? 
There is. So we still got a crew that's on site, uh, an operations team that stayed there that's maintaining the property and keeping it up. Um, as you're probably aware with all the changes, um, Kentucky can have another race. You know, we, we possibly will be back in Kentucky and, and it's okay. not all to, to be able to run a NASCAR race there again. Um, so we've got to maintain the track. And we all have seen what North Wilkesboro looks like and understand what happens when a track sits for a long time, what can happen. So we recognize that and recognize that we may take a race back there and um, with that, you know, we want to make sure that the track stays up to par to be able to race again one day. Yeah, I mean, that's that's what I'm hoping for selfishly. But, um, you know, and I'm hoping that some of these mile and a half races that like we just had at Vegas yesterday and uh, like we had a, a couple weeks ago at Miami, hopefully the the good racing that we're having there may lend itself to bring it back. But um, also excited to see all these other tracks that you all have put on the schedule as well. Yep. And it's, you know, it's a different time. And that's the great part uh, with our Nashville announcement the other day, um, going back to the fairgrounds and, and getting that track and bringing it back out of history and, and putting it back on the map. Uh, there's a lot of things that are moving out there. And, you know, it's years ago, track promoters used to go in and, and basically lease properties out and run races. So going back to those roots and I, and I still feel, you know, I've, I hold dear to Kentucky as well. I was there for a long time, spent a lot of time in Kentucky with construction and uh, just helping to operate the track itself and bring it back from the, the big, days of 2010 and hope to see it back there one one day as soon but i mean it's definitely a different world and in, mm-hmm. in the national it's exciting because we are getting to see different tracks so really getting to test those drivers to see what they can do where they don't just go to the same spot over and over and have to figure tracks out so while chris chris is super excited or su- super bummed i'm super excited because i live in nashville so uh, uh having mayor cooper announced the letter of intent this past week I was really excited to see that. What is the undertaking ahead for you guys to renovate that track? So we're continuous to work with the Metro because Metro owns or the city owns that track. So we're working with them on what needs to happen to make it cup ready to be able to run a NASCAR sanctioned event there and, and get it up to safety parameters. So we've been helping with the design and the construction side of that and then just getting it up to the safety parameters just to be able to run a race. And then, you know, the, the big puzzle piece that's been somewhat on that track is to work around the MLS stadium and the expo and all the things that are still on, on that small site. We're used to working with 2000 acres and there we've got all of 40. So it makes it really difficult to try to fit all the puzzle pieces in with the multi-use and whatnot, but they've been great to work with. Uh, we've, we've had several meetings, been behind the scenes for the last couple of years, working with their teams and, and the MLS sides teams, the multi-use team, the Metro and the expo centers team and the fairgrounds, but they've been great partners. And, and now that that's out there and we've got the, the letter in hand, it just makes it move at a faster pace. It goes back to that right way, wrong way, speedway. We're going to be working on speedway time. So getting Metro to work with us on speedway time is going to be a little difficult. But I think, you know, the excitement that's around that track and the NASCAR world will help to push that along. So in terms of like fitting a lot in a small space, I know you guys have done that with Bristol. But in terms of the infield in Nashville, is that the same size or is that actually smaller? It's actually a little bit, well, let me rephrase that. The track itself is a little larger than Bristol. The infield, because it's on different levels, they've got a lower level that's kind of the pits and a lot of slopes. And that's part of the proposal we've told them that makes more sense to fill it in to get it flat. Then we would gain more space. And you'd have a sizable, I think we ran the numbers, it's about three acres larger than what Bristol's infield would be once you fill it up. So that five-eighths makes a big difference from a half mile to get some more space in the infield, but you've got to do some work to get it there. And do you guys have any sort of, I know it's early on, but do you have any sort of timetable on how long it's going to take? No, um, we've got to get through all the, the work really starts now to make sure, you know, we get the designs, the drawings, getting through all the, 
paperwork, so to speak, and the permits and the things that you have to do to get going on that. And that, that'll really dictate what the timing looks like once we get all that stuff into place. Nice. And you'd mentioned North Wilkesboro and that's something that the fans are always constantly bringing up over and over is in a track like that. We haven't seen a race there since I think 95 or 96. Um, is that a lost cause or is there any chance that that race, that racetrack could actually be renovated? There is a chance. So Marcus is very adamant about Wilkesboro really likes Wilkesboro. And we've actually made, you know, Dale jr. With his podcast, we were there. Oh, maybe he's been a year ago, I guess. Now it was really cold. <laughs> I just remember when we were out there with, with his group cleaning it up. So I racing could scan it. Um, there's still work there and we've, we've talked about it. It's just getting the right business model in place to get back to that track. Um, but Marcus has a desire to get back to that track. There's, you know, Marcus is definitely driven by history and, and the history of the sport and, and Wilkesboro holds an important piece to that. So there's still that opportunity and, and definitely a want. It's just working the business model to make sure it works right. For sure. And so are there any big ideas? We, we've talked to you about a ton of stuff. Is there anything you can let us in on or that you know of that's coming up big that we might see different? I mean, obviously the schedule this year is just gigantic with coda come in and dirt on bristol any other big ideas that are sitting out there that we might not be privy to um i mean there's a lot of stuff out there for sure and, and with all the big stuff that's on the table right now between coda and bristol dirt and all-star in texas um i'd hate to ruin the day with something new right like that's <laughs> new stuff to talk about right now that really the other new We'll save those for a rainy day once we get through all this excitement of the spring and the, and the early summer. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's an exciting time in the sport. You know, I've been with the sport now for almost 20 years. And, and just to see where we were then to where we're at now, I think uh, there's not been a more exciting time for the sport as far as all the, the changes, the new car that's coming out next year, mm. the new ownership in the sport, um, just, just all the growth that's happening around the sport and just seeing the new fans that are coming into the sport. You know, that's something that I think we struggled with a lot after what happened with Earnhardt. And, and you know, it's, it's really fun to see it take this change and, and see the growth coming into the, the sport itself. I mean, we're all NASCAR people and fans now and, and into motorsports in general. And, um, you know, things like Bristol Dirt brings back that old school, the, the original why people got into motorsports to begin with and helps to, to grow that fan base. So I think, a lot of exciting things happening. It's hard to pinpoint all of them in one, but this year is definitely a world will of how much stuff could we change and how much new things can we bring. And here we are and we're making it happen. And, and I think it's great for the sport. Awesome. Well, you know, Steve, we'll let you go. And, and we appreciate you coming on here and talking to the, t talking to us about this. Uh, we have learned not only a ton about dirt, I might go with Bart and try and build one of these damn things. But, um, you good know, it, uh, <laughs> I'll give you good contacts. How's that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll be giving you a phone call if we need to do that. But we, we appreciate you coming on, talking to us about it. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. Appreciate the time. So cool to have Steve on. Man, we learned a lot in that one. Yeah, Steve was a super cool guy definitely that nascar executive that everybody would want to be being able to take the big ideas and implement them and who doesn't want to sit there and watch eight feet of dirt be poured on top of one of the most historic tracks in the country so heck yeah that's a pretty cool job well it's time for true false and this week i've compiled 10 questions to try to stump chris and the theme is nascar dirt racing edition so you decided about you think you can crack this one? What's the what's the record? 
80 percent's the record so far i think it's going to be tough with this one but yeah, we'll see what we can do maybe i'll get lucky there's a few zingers in here we'll see all right number one it has been 51 years since we have seen a cup race on dirt true or true. false that is true the last one was held in 1970 do you know where it was at i don't know where it was it was at the State Fairgrounds Speedway in Raleigh, North Carolina, and it was won by none other than Richard Petty. Well, yeah. there you go. 1970. So coming back, 2021. Number two, Richard Petty has the most wins on dirt in the NASCAR Cup Series. True or false? That is false. That is false. You seem like you know it. Well, no, because... I think it's somebody older than Richard Petty because he, while he was in the sport, you've got a lot of other guys who were, I mean, we started this on the beaches of Daytona. You've told right. us that. So yep. my thought is there were a lot of dirt tracks at some point. They said, we're going to start paving these things and moving to more paved, more paved ovals. And to me, there were so many people up until when you just mentioned Richard Petty winning that race. And I'm like, ah, the seventies. And he wasn't winning for a long period at the end of his career. I'm like, mm. uh, so that's where I get my reasoning. I'm going with somebody else. It's gotta be somebody older than him. It is someone older than him. It was his father, Lee Petty. Lee Petty. Okay. See, I almost brought up Lee Petty because nobody talks about how dominant he was and uh richard gets all the glory which i mean seven time champion will get you that so uh, yeah pretty cool well richard he had it quite a bit i mean th i think he was like mid-tier when it came to like the most wins on dirt but uh he had 30 and his dad had 42 and that was the most wow quite a bit all right number three there are currently no tracks on the 2021 schedule that used to be nascar sanctioned dirt tracks true or false that is false there are three tracks that used to be dirt that they paved that are still on the schedule today the cup schedule oh okay so richmond um uh, it was right. built in 46 they paved it in 68 martinsville built in 47 they paved it in 56 and then nashville which is new to the schedule this year um well actually that no i'm thinking of the wrong nashville but anyway nashville <laughs> <laughs> It will be on the schedule one one day, hopefully. But that fairgrounds. Uh, so there's two tracks. But yeah, fairgrounds speedway that was built in 1904, and they paved that in 1958. So okay, so we both kind of we both kind of fudged that one up. But once once you said that, I thought you were trying to fool me with NASCAR yeah. sanctioned, and then my first thought was, I know there's been dirt races in the other NASCAR sanctioned series like Eldora, but um, regardless, it seems like I was right. Well, you can probably guarantee there's a question about Eldora on here, so <laughs> just wait. All righty, so I am three for three to start off. I'm doing yeah, pretty doing well. pretty good. All right, number four, the 1949 season was in, held entirely on dirt tracks. That's the inaugural season of NASCAR. True That's false? false. That is false. What's your reasoning? You um, the, the inaugural seasoning, didn't they race it? They race at Charlotte, and Charlotte's never Charlotte won dirt. No, you're. Uh, it was the other Charlotte, Charlotte, Charlotte. Yeah, Charlotte Speedway. That was Charlotte dirt. Speedway. Yeah. That oh was dirt. well. Um, I don't know. I've, I I just feel like. Well, you got it right, but I I was trying to trick you here because all eight tracks 
were all so seven of them were dirt one of them was sand oh wow so there were there were no paved no paved in the first in okay nope okay well that shows you how far we've come that it's like a anomaly that there's dirt anywhere near the track so mm-hmm. all right number five the nascar truck series has only raced on one dirt track thus far true or false Ooh. So I know you're trying to catch me in something here. Have they ever raced? I'm going to say that's true. It is true. They've only raced on Eldora. That started in 2013. But this year we won't see that track. So it'll move to three, actually, because they're going to race at Bristol here in a couple of weeks. And they're yep. also going to race at Knoxville. That's in Iowa, not Tennessee, on July 9th. <laughs> <laughs> yep. All right, number six. The first ever NASCAR sanctioned race was on dirt. True or false? That is false. It's true. It literally just said that. That's why I was like, oh man, why did Wait, I what? Di-? It's true. Charlotte Speedway was dirt. The very oh first. my gosh. I was not thinking for some reason I was thinking Daytona Beach. That's what I, I was thinking. I was thinking sand. I moved these questions around. I didn't realize that I put that there. I literally just gave you the answer to that. Well, you told me that Charlotte was dirt, but I did not know that that was the first ever race i i thought i for some reason i thought that daytona was the first ever sanctioned race not charlotte no no in 1949 that was the first ever sanctioned race at charlotte speedway do you remember uh, on a previous episode that all like all five of the flocks raced in that race oh yeah yeah i do remember that now yeah yeah so the, the race was won by and jim roper yeah, the monkey. Uh, race was won by Jim Roper after yep. Glenn Dunaway was disqualified for having like some illegal shocks or something like that. Um, but Bob That's Flock, brother of Tim Flock, the guy with the monkey, he uh, he won the pole of that. Nice, good. Yeah. All right, number seven. So you one one wrong. Oh, can't get another one wrong. Nope. All right, number seven. Ryan Blaney competed in the 2000 late model sprint car dirt race that was held on Bristol. So Blaney's what, 23? No, that's false. It is false. Isn't Blaney's not 23. He's like 27, but still that would put him as like seven years old competing in a sprint car race. (laughs) Yeah, he is. I think he is 27. So he would have been seven. But Dale Blaney, Ryan's uncle, uh, was was in that race. Oh, which I I didn't know Dale Blaney race, but um Dave Blaney, he actually won the 1993 Chili Bowl. They both got their start in dirt racing, but uh, Ryan didn't. Oh, that's that's really interesting because usually you see it kind of follow the same path as the, the family. I want it to be known, though. My logic checked out real well right there. It did, yeah. Because yeah, For I the mean, first yeah. time tonight. <laughs> but yeah, it's so true. Like, Because that was my first thought. When I saw his name, I was like, I didn't know Ryan Blaney got his start in dirt. I'm sure maybe he did a little bit, but I don't think he did much. So one right. primary come up. Right. Number eight, Clint Boyer got his start racing on dirt. True or false? Got his start. I mean, I feel like most of these guys started out driving carts. Are we talking about like when they came to prominence? Like, I'm just going to say true. It is true. Okay. So. Clint Boyer, Casey Kane, Tony Stewart, Kenny Wallace, they're all really well-known NASCAR guys that they came up on dirt. Yeah. Yeah, they came up on dirt, but it's like, that's like every one of these drivers, like we've had Kaz on, we had um, 
we had Clay Rogers on. Those are two ends of the age spectrum. Mm-hmm. Clay Rogers found more success in in dirt and modifieds and, and late models and things like that. But then you've got, but they both started in driving a go-kart on concrete. Yeah. So and it's again, like, I didn't know what, if you were playing semantics with me. Like I know Clint was a good dirt racer, but it's like, no, he actually started when he was four and he was racing concrete carts. Yeah. I think it's more so I'm just having a hard time with words in this one because <laughs> I mean, what I meant to say is that he, he like, he had success in dirt racing more or yeah. less is what I was getting at. He had a lot of success there. As we look at drivers racing the cup now, there's been a lot that have also had success on dirt racing. Christopher Bell, Kyle Larson, Tyler mm-hmm. Reddick, just to name a few. So uh, as we look to the upcoming Dirt on Bristol race next week, um, we should keep an eye out for them because they could uh, tear it up. Yeah, and there's a lot of cup guys who are entering into both the uh, Dirt Nationals that they're going to have there as well as uh, might be running in the truck or Xfinity series on that track too. So um, it'll definitely be interesting to see those guys kind of drop down and compete. I heard there's some ridiculous amount of people trying to qualify for the dirt nationals at Bristol. It's like 1500 people are coming out to try and drive into this race. It's insane. Oh, I saw a photo on Twitter and the entire infield of Bristol is filled with cars. That's the entire nuts. thing. Yeah. You got a lot of interest across the world of, of all those people who race dirt every weekend. They want to get their chance to say I'm the best. Yeah. And it's definitely going to be a spectacle. So hopefully it's on somewhere other than like ignition TV or whatever it is. <laughs> Flow sports. All right. Number nine. That, yeah. That's more identifiable. <laughs> <laughs> number nine. Well, actually, I don't even know to be honest. Uh, number nine, NASCAR Xfinity has never been run on dirt. True or false? Does that include the Bush series? Yes. Okay. Like, it's modern day name, but yes. The, the oh, right, right. Exist- I'm just making sure you're not trying to catch <laughs> me off guard here. Uh, I'm going to say that's true. That doesn't, it doesn't seem like they would have had time to do that. It is true. Yeah. It's never been raced on dirt. They're not actually racing at Bristol. It's only the truck series and the cup series. All right, final question. You've only got one wrong. Is that right? Let's not talk about it. Let's keep going. <laughs> I'm trying hard to jinx you right here. All right, I know number, you are. Number 10, single lap qualifying will be held at the upcoming Bristol Cup race. True or false? False. It was false. New record, 90%. 90% on the NASCAR dirt. Yeah. So they're Take doing... me back to my roots. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, they're doing heat, uh, yeah. which is like very similar to what they do in dirt racing. So that will um, ultimately like there'll be groups of cars that will do many races and that will determine the lineup for the, the final. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I'm, I'm excited to see it. I, I really am excited about this dirt race, except especially after talking to Steve and him telling us that they're they don't really see issues with like potholing with the heights of the cars they've done. So there's so much that goes into the science of this that we didn't even dive into with him on, on our call. But I, I thought, I, I thought it was cool just to hear about it. And I'm ex- more excited about it knowing that the guy who created it doesn't feel like there's going to be, you know, a whole lot of issues going on. I think it's going to be an exciting race. Yeah. They definitely do their due diligence when it comes to building a new track like that. It's been done in the past and there, mm-hmm. there's just so much research and, and learning that went on 
in order to make this a reality. So the, the fact of the matter is that it's new to the drivers mm-hmm. and there, there's going to be things that you say like at the Roval where they all went into the heartburn turn and they all just like all coll- collided <laughs> <Yeah>. and, and <laughs> like an accordion. And that'll likely happen because I, I believe that there's somewhat of a muscle memory to these drivers when they go to tracks. I remember what they're supposed to do inherently um, or subconsciously. So um, I think in this format, you're going to see people have no experience. They've never raced on this before or have much experience on dirt. So there's going to be a faux pas and I can't wait to see it. I can't wait to, and I can't wait to see who it is. Radioactive after Bristol dirt is going to be absolute fire. We are moving into notable news this week. There's been some happenings and we want to talk about it. So Chris, let's discuss the news in NASCAR today, Phoenix is over and we saw Truex win. And we can finally not hear about Clint Boyer and Jeff Gordon fighting for maybe a year, hopefully. Um, I did appreciate the bit that Fox did with Larry McReynolds and Jamie McMurray. Jamie McMurray. I thought that was absolutely hilarious. So it's like a spoof on drunk history. Yeah. Yeah. That was pretty funny. Did you like the race though? Did you think it was good, a good race? I loved the race. Yeah. I actually really liked it. Um, I love the fact that Arizona is like this cracked egg or Phoenix. I I love that. It's like somebody cracked an egg and Mm. then they looked at it and they were like, that'd make a good shape for a NASCAR track. (laughs) Uh, And, and then they did it. I love the dog leg. I love seeing Brad Kozlowski cut like 80 feet off the track. Um, I, you know, all the stuff that goes into it is cool. It's definitely one of those races where you have to be more individual battle focused um there were so many good just there was a lot of bumping and grinding going on and rubbing uh, through that really really tight dog leg turn there's so much pitch and yaw in the width of the track there that um i I really enjoyed it i don't know tons of people were complaining about it um i'm glad we have it yeah and i think what people are complaining about is when they're just not like daytona level excitement going on all the time like that's just not gonna be, that's not realistic to expect that. I thought it was an overall a good race. I've been trying to get a lot of projects done around the house. So I actually listened to a majority of it. And I did this last week as well. And I, I love listening to it. I don't do that a whole lot, but I really thoroughly enjoyed and knew wholeheartedly, like it was a good race mm-hmm. by listening to it. And I watched a little bit of it, but overall I thought it was a great race and have no complaints about it. Uh, speaking of uh, racing, we have a different kind of racing coming up. The NASCAR iRacing Pro Invitational Series is going to come back to television starting this upcoming week after this podcast is released on March 24th. We haven't seen this on television since COVID took down NASCAR, and that was our only alternative. Are you excited to see this back on TV? Yes, but not because... Uh, I had to pause there because I'm not excited about iRacing. I've never been a big video game person. I played a few racing video games. I played like Madden and stuff growing up, but um, you know, I didn't have, I I didn't have a gaming system other than a Nintendo 64 until I moved into my own apartment in college. So I, I wasn't really big into that stuff. So it doesn't really excite me and all the glitches where you'll see like a car just randomly go through another car that doesn't excite me, but I like that NASCAR is expanding 
their viewer base. And I think that there are tons of people out there that might play NASCAR heat or might do iRacing that wouldn't have otherwise watched a NASCAR race because they're more into the video game realm. But now that they're mm -hmm. able to see people like them, it's the, it, all that diversity and inclusion. It's not just, you know, based on color. It's not just based on gender. Uh, I think it's bringing in people from different walks and different areas of interest. And so to see that be able to make its way back to TV is cool because it's going to bring prominence to a group of people that otherwise wouldn't really get it. That's really a great point. I've never really thought about it that way. I bet it will bring a bit more interest to the gamer. Maybe they're they're into a different type of gaming. And mm -hmm. It could just maybe get spark their interest a little bit and, and maybe they'll check it out. I mean, I can remember from last year, um, I was mainly watching like old races like North Wilkesboro and like yeah. all these races in the 80s and the 70s. And, and I love that. But I do I did enjoy that they were doing the the pro invitational series. And there was times where I mean, I was standing at the TV like going crazy. Um, I remember Junior and Hamlin going yeah. uh, like down to the wire. I don't remember what track that was, but that was really exciting for something that's not technically real. So it yeah. is it is exciting to watch. Um, when it comes to seeing somebody on, on, on television, we're seeing a lot of this person lately. Um, it could be a little bit of overhyped, um, but uh, Bubba Wallace is yep. uh, set to begin testing the next-gen car at Richmond this week. Um, thus far, we've seen testing at Daytona, Charlotte, Coda, Phoenix. I feel like I'm missing somewhere. But I think that may be it. But I'm always curious about how they go about picking the drivers. They tested at Charlotte. Yeah, I said Charlotte. They did the oh, Charlotte okay. Roval and the Oval. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what it, that's what I got confused with. But I'm always curious. How do they pick these guys? Why Why did they pick Bubba Wallace? Why did they pick uh, Cole Custer, Joey Logano, Kurt Busch, Trips? Why did they pick? Like, how do they go about this? Is there like a a list? Like when they when they have to name a hurricane, where they're like, well, it's uh, <laughs> Bert is on the list, so it's Hurricane Bert. <laughs> like, how do they go about it? Um, number one, I want to note that you went really original on Hurricane Bert by just changing one letter in your own <laughs> name to come up with that name. Hey, um. <laughs> well, it, it's it's probably just me being upset because I will never be a hurricane. I'm not on the list, nor did I ever have a keychain as a kid going on vacation. There was never a keychain <laughs> for Bart or a license plate for Bart because no one is named Bart. Yeah, that's very true. Uh, there were plenty for Chris. So, um, you know, I, I, I think and this this could be very wrong but what i saw is that each team has an opportunity to put a driver in the test that had that at least has a certain um average finishing position so it could be that they're one it could be that they're concerned that if we continue on the season this way bub is not going to have the right finishing position to test it could be a little bit like uh, we've talked about with other people um, on interviews and in the sport that, you know, they're wanting to put somebody in there with a big names to get some hype around the next gen car. Um, we know that Bubba Wallace has a very positive voice in the sport. So if he goes out there and talks about how great the next gen car is, this new wave of fans that's coming in, 
I think it'll bring a lot of positivity around the next gen car. Whereas you have some of these like stale male and pale people who are just, mm. I, I don't want a single lung nut. I don't want <laughs> this standard body on every single car. It, you know, there's still going to be ways to cheat this car. There's still going to be teams that find an edge somehow, mm. some way with this next gen car. But, um, you know, I think it's cool that he's going to test it. He, had a lot better run this past week than he has any other time. I think they're that the 23 XI teams having a little bit of that um, unlucky beginners startup that they didn't expect to have, but um, you know, I think it'll be cool to see him do it, but I have no clue how they pick it. I mean, I don't know how Cole Custer got in that thing. They're certainly <laughs> not going to put William Byron back in the damn thing. <laughs> yeah. No, I, and I'm not, I'm definitely not discounting them selecting Bubba Wallace. Mm-hmm. I, that wasn't really like the point, but um, I do think he's being overhyped quite a bit yeah. right now. And uh, that team needs some time to really get their ducks in a row. He had a top 20 this, this go around. So yeah. it's good to see them continually improve and uh, we'll see them in victory lane one day. I don't doubt that, but I don't think it's going to be the first half this year. I don't think so either. All right, and the final topic and notable news. I have a bone to pick, and I'm so glad on days like this oh. that we have a podcast because I have been so fired up about this, and I've had no place to ventilate it, and so it, it's time to do so. So we talked with Steve a little bit about this, about Nashville Fairground Speedway. Our mayor here in Nashville, Mayor Cooper, signed a letter of intent to work with SMI and Bristol to renovate the, renovate the speedway in order to bring back NASCAR needs. A safer barrier. It needs new facilities on the infield com- completely. Uh, there's not really anything there right now besides like weeds. <laughs> the, the grandstands are very old and very limited in capacity, so that a lot of new grandstands would be, be need to be built. Need to be built. So there's definitely a lot of improvements, but the track itself is is in good shape. They race there often. Um, we see local series there all the time. We had Bob Sargent on last year, and he is the guy who runs the, the fairground speedway. And so, I mean, and there is tons of stuff going on there already. Um, we've got the SRX championship race there. So the race that uh, Tony Stewart and Ray Everham, the, the series that they've got going, that's going to be there this July. Um, the IndyCar road course race is going to be in the city of Nashville this upcoming, um, I believe, August and that's just like a couple miles away from where the fairground speedway is. And so um, they worked out this deal, like this letter of intent where SMI would pay back the city uh, with revenue earned. So the city would help them out as if they technically own the speedway um, and they, they would pay them back via revenue, which I believe is probably pretty common. But of course, you're going to have unhappy people no matter what. And especially people who don't like NASCAR or understand NASCAR. And so they're upset about it's potentially coming back because of the noise, number one. Oh, my it, Lord. I was about to say, number one, we got to get to this bone. That yeah, that's the bone. That's the main bone. <laughs> the people are the bone? I mean, the people are the bone, but it's like, why? How on earth could you be upset about the noise? Number one, it's held on like a, it would probably be held on a Sunday. There's a race on Saturday. They're not going to have it at night, most likely. And uh, if anything, there may be practice on a Friday, but there's there's not going to be any real disruption other than the already disruption that they have from racing at the track. Not to mention right in that area, there's this really large like train car sorting facility. And if, if you've ever been over there, 
like you're all the time you're just hearing squealing that's it yeah and so to be accustomed to that and be uh, anchored by a couple hours of of race cars that already happened anyways is just absurd to me like you're hindering the growth of the sport or you're hindering the growth of this sport and the city by saying i don't feel comfortable with welcoming this event that could potentially bring 40 60,000 people to my city which in turn helps the tourism of this town i mean we yeah. have um, mls coming in with a new stadium being built in the same area um, we've got a minor league baseball team we've got a hockey team i mean all these things uh, along with bachelorette parties uh, help the city <laughs> and i i just don't understand how th- any of these concerns are, are legitimate enough to even make it in the news it makes me so f- infuriated well that people can can have these types of concerns with people like give them legitimacy well it you know it's anytime so it, it it's out in the suburbs correct fairgrounds is it's not downtown no it's in the city like it's oh really it's, it's literally like two three miles from downtown well that's just ridiculous then because number one when you're downtown the sound of traffic's just loud because of the amount of the nashville's like the denver of the the midwest southeast everybody's flooding there tons of people are coming to nashville there's construction going on everywhere every time i come down there to see y'all i mean it's just this blows my mind because it's literally three to four hours of noise. The, a football game is going to bring more people and that's loud. And like you, you, you named everything. I think this is one of those cases where we've got to find something that's newsworthy about it. Um, And it was newsworthy in and of itself, just because the NASCAR world's been begging for it and talking about it for a while. There's got to be something to get other people in the city talking about it that isn't just the racing. And and that's what they're doing. They're chasing headlines. Yeah, and that's a great point. I mean, and, and I didn't mention, yeah, there's a 10 lanes of interstate running right next to it as well. <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, the, the point that you're kind of making is that, so for instance, the the music city grand prix the indycar race that's coming that's only going to be on the streets of, of nashville there was no real debate about that because it wasn't really known at all there was no leaked information on the news that that was potentially something that was happening it just happened and everyone's like wow well that's kind of cool and and that was it with but with the the fairground speedway this place has been there forever um it definitely has some age to it they're trying to renovate the fairgrounds area because um, of the MLS stadium that they're bringing in. They've also taken away like this big antique row that they had there that mm. people are up in arms a- against. And then j- there's this whole board of the fairgrounds speedway, try- or the fairgrounds board. They're trying to argue over what they can and can't do and trying to come to common grounds between both the MLS stadium and, and the uh, speedway. So it just seems day, like it's- more opportunity to me though. It is. Like, you but- can take these places and turn them into like when we talked to Steve, he said that you could turn that you could get tons more acreage in this infield. You can turn those things into weekends where there's not racing happening, turn it into like a massive flea market, turn it into uh, SMI will take the freaking money. We know that they've got Kentucky just sitting over here growing (laughs) weeds like everything else. So they'll take the money 
I, I don't understand why in these types of situations, everybody looks at it as a hindrance. So you can repurpose things just because you remove something that was already temporary doesn't mean you can't replace it or add it or blend things together. Um, it's just anti-intuitive to me to complain about something like this. Yeah, I think it's just been a debate. So people just want to debate it. It doesn't make yeah. any sense <laughs> to me. And they're also disconnected from the sport of a bit. Like they, you can cruise through the channels and more often see NFL on the TV because there's so many games right. or baseball because there's so many games where NASCAR is just on typically like one day and it's not always on a main channel. So they're mm -hmm. just disconnected from where the sport is and how it's going. And quite honestly, it would be such a benefit to just NASCAR sport in general to come to a trendy city like like Nashville is because we can put a Nashville spin on the racetrack and make it just this experience that people would love. And I yeah. anticipate that SMI will certainly do that as they, as they do that. And I, I think that um, they'll get over those roadblocks. It just makes me mad. And I just wanted to talk about it. So, all right, moving on, we are going to Atlanta motor speedway this upcoming week. It is an old track that hasn't been repaved since 1997. That pavement is abrasive and it tends that, uh, Success comes to those guys with a lot of experience, just like we saw at Phoenix. And uh, I have, for one, had my first. Oh, look at that. You can't see this if you're listening, but Chris has a giant <laughs> Cracker Barrel Old Country Store 500, which is his first race they ever went to at Atlanta Motor Speedway. Yes. And what year was that, Chris? That was in 2001. 2001 so 20 years ago that was the historic kevin harvick win where and, and i don't remember this so i can't act like i do but um this was the historic kevin harvick win where he uh went obviously backwards down the track and held the three out the window it was after uh dale senior had passed that was the very race after dale had passed right yep i think so and you don't remember that how old were you um i I don't remember that specific moment. I remember the race itself. I oh, remember okay. it was a big deal. I, I, I remember they had the threes spray, spray painted in the grass. I remember it was very close. It, it was either the race after or two races after, but he was racing the good wrench paint scheme. The whole team was intact. I remember everybody going bonkers. I don't remember specifically him doing you know going backwards and holding the three out the window but i do very vividly remember the race because we were very close down to the track yeah that's a it's unfortunate that you know obviously senior lost his life but such a cool experience to be at that race yeah all right so the fantasy forecast for this week at atlanta motor speedway i'm going with the old school guys and i think that we're seeing we saw a season start out with some randomness and i think some of these lower teams and younger drivers uh, they found themselves having success but these teams have too much funding and resources mm -hmm. for them to stand by and see a whole season of that so i think that uh, the season will soon change and you'll, you'll kind of see what we tend to expect um, moving forward for most races mm -hmm. of course road courses we don't know what we're going to expect there in dirt on bristle who knows <laughs> So my top five for this week, I'm first going with Kevin Harvick. He uh, finished sixth at Phoenix, so it tends that he's trending in the right direction. His three top fives in the last four races, and all four of those races, he was in the top ten. So I anticipate I have a good race here okay. at Atlanta. Uh, number two, Denny Hamlin. He is very good at intermediates. He's super consistent and has remained so um, for the last year and a half. So I anticipate that we're going to see him in the top five. Uh, number three, Martin Tricks Jr., 
he seems like one of those guys that just kind of like success compounds on itself. So like he, he won last week in Phoenix and he'll take that confidence and that success and he'll bring that to Atlanta. So I anticipate that we're going to see him do very well. He's always in the top 10 here. Uh, number four, I'm going to go with Kyle Bush. He's good everywhere. He's been in sort of a slump, um, but he's been kind of like heading back in the right direction. So I anticipate seeing him in the top five here. And then finally, Brad Keselowski. Pinsky has doing, been doing pretty well. Um, he's won twice here in four years. I do anticipate that we're going to see him up top. When it comes to the garage bait, I'm going to go with Kurt Busch. Kurt Busch is with okay. a, a, a lower-funded team, if you will, Chip Ganassi. They're not the Hendrick or the Penske or the Joe Gibbs, but um, they're competitive. And, and Kurt Busch is one of the oldest guys in NASCAR. He has a ton of experience, and he can get anything in at least the top 10. I anticipate mm-hmm. he will be there with that experience. Ryan Blaney, he's very good at mile-and-a-half tracks. And it tends to just have unlucky moments that really yeah. have made his stats look worse than they really are. Um, he's with Penske of all teams. So I, I do think that we're going to start to see him. Uh, he did have a great, what was it early? Was it last year that he had a great season, but he, like everybody was uh, hounding on him because he like kept finishing second. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and then finally Joey Logano. So I'm going all in on team Penske here. Um, nice. I think that we're going to see them up top and have success. They performed Probably. really well this last weekend. Yeah, and we've seen Hendrick win a lot. We've seen Joe Gibbs win a couple. Um, front row, didn't see that coming. Uh, I do anticipate that Penske's hungry for a win, so they could put a, a bit more effort into this, having guys that are all really good at mile and a half tracks. Uh, when it comes to the bonus points, I'm going to go with Top Chevy with Kurt Busch. Oh, wow. Yeah, uh, and I, I say that because he's consistent. Um, Larson, he's been out for a year. He's doing pretty well, but you know, just never know. Um, and then Elliot, um, he, he tends to be all right here, but it's not consistent enough for me to say that he's going to hit it out of the park. So I'm going to go with Kurt Busch. Top forward, nice. Brad Keselowski. And top Toyota, Martin Truex Jr. I do anticipate that our winner will be another Penske. Uh, well, not another Penske. It will be a Penske driver, Brad Keselowski. Um, so I'm going with Ford's manufacturer and Penske as the team. That is my fancy picks for this week. Well, everybody, that's all we have for you this week. We've got to give a big thanks to the team at SMI and Steve Swift for coming on the show, giving us a little bit of insight into how Bristol became Dirt Bristol. It's going to be a lot of fun to see that race. You can catch all of our interviews on goingintightpodcast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, at goingintight underscore pod. And you can find us on Spotify, Apple, Google, and wherever you listen to podcasts. We look forward to talking to you all next week. Peace.